And I'm glad that all of you are here today. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them. Now the Lord, getting ready to transition, something powerful is fixing to happen. And he brings together his immediate followers. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. I've been talking about this promise of the Father. And he says, I'm wanting you to focus on that. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You're not going to know the times or the seasons. It's going to be uncertainty and You're not always going to be able to make sense of the season that you're in. Why you're facing the things you are. But don't worry, the Father hath put it in His own power. Oh, I just feel like stopping right here and saying something. You may be facing things you don't have an answer for, but don't forget that God's got it in His power. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Here's what I want you to focus on, gang. I know you don't know the times or the seasons. I know it's a time of confusion. It's a time of transition. But you're going to have power. It's going to come upon you with the Holy Ghost. And you're going to be witnesses unto me. That's what I want you to focus on. I want to speak this morning on this subject. Why should I be spirit-filled? Why should I be spirit-filled? Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for the opportunity to worship you. We pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon this place. I pray, God, that as the word goes forth, that your spirit would touch us and speak to us. And that many would be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated and thank you so much for standing. Uh, There is something that is referred to as the law of original instruction. The law of original instruction. It's based on the idea that if you want to make sure that you've got the truth of something, go to the original source. Because over time and translations and different uh, people giving their interpretation, then things can change. I don't know if you've ever played the game of gossip, but you can start out whispering to someone in a circle of, let's say, 10 people. And you can say, John and Mary are going down to the grocery store to get groceries. And you can only repeat it. You can only say it once. And then they have to take what they heard and whisper it in the ear of the person next to them. And then that one does the next one. When he gets all the way back around over here to the end, just in a room of eight to ten people, it'll be, you know, Pete and Sally went on a roller coaster ride at Universal Studios. I mean, it's unbelievable how it can change in such a short period of time. So you always want to go back to the original source. When I was in law school, they had something called the horn books that nobody wanted to read because it was just so difficult to read. But it was the original cases and the original decision-making, the original law that came from it. 
And it was so laborious to read all of this stuff, just ad nauseum, all of these volumes and volumes of horn books. And the professors were always trying to get us to go back to the horn books. And we didn't want to mess with the horn books. We wanted to read the cliff notes because they have these uh, third-party commercial ventures that give you cliff notes on all these cases. And if you don't have time to read the horn books, then you just read the cliff notes because you're going to get called in class. They're going to say, Mr. Myers, would you brief so-and-so versus so-and-so? And and you're going to have to brief it. And if you haven't read the case, you're going to be in trouble. So all law school students have all these cliff notes. But it's dangerous to live by cliff notes. Some people are trying to live spiritually by cliff notes. Because the problem with cliff notes is cliff notes give you a brief summary of the case and then a brief summary of the law. But guess what? That was somebody's opinion. Until you get back to the original source, you may not truly understand the way that the law developed from that case. And the same thing is true scripturally. You've got to get back to the original source. And I'm so glad we have the Word of God. We've got the law of original instruction on our side. We can go back to what thus saith the Word of God. And my friend, I'm going to tell you something. When you hold the King James Version in your, in your hands, I'm going to tell you something. That is as close to the original translation as you can get. King James had over 700 different translators. And when we were over in uh, Israel and they, we were, they were showing us the Dead Sea Scrolls, which you know were these scrolls from the original Essenes with the, the transcribers of Scripture. And they would put them on parchment paper and put them in caves. And they were out in the wilderness. They were dedicated to the work. They would dress in white and they would take like eight baths a day, Essenes, they were a certain sect. And all they did was translate and write scripture. Well, they put them in jars and they put them in these uh, vessels and clays and they put them in caves. And, and back, I think it was in the 30s or 40s, there was some shepherd boys out there. They call them the caves of Quorum. They're out by the Dead Sea and, and uh, there was some shepherd boys out there. It's still wilderness out there. But they were throwing some rocks down into a cave down on the front side of a cliff face and they heard something smash and they crawled down through there off the side of that went there and found this thing went back told other people and so forth and then you know they got words of the antiquities experts and and they found the dead sea scrolls original scriptures and so when you go over there they've got a museum in jerusalem that has the dead sea scrolls it's fascinating uh to go back to it and see it and they got it all of course all in low lighting to try to preserve it when we were there a number of years ago the guide told us he said now a lot of the book of isaiah was found in these Dead Sea Scrolls. And he said, if you look at your King James Version, it is 99.9% accurate of what we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, my friend, if you want to know what you must do to be saved, you can have confidence that you can go to the Word of God and you can learn it for yourself. You don't have to take anybody else's word for it. You can go to the law of original instruction and you can find out what God said you and I must do to be saved. Oh, hallelujah. And when we look at the book of Acts, we understand that that's where the New Testament church was getting established. That's whenever it started was in the book of Acts. And so a lot of times people ask, how do I know what church is the right church? And how do I know what truth is? Well, my friend, I tell you what I tell everybody. Go back to the book of Acts. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Does the church you go to talk about what the book of Acts talked about? Because that was the first church. That's the law of original instruction. And if your church don't believe in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, they deviated from the original church. If your church doesn't believe in Jesus' name baptism, they deviated from the original church. If your church don't believe that you can be healed physically in your body, in your emotions, in your spirit, they've deviated from the original church. You've got to get back to the original instruction. Oh, hallelujah. And when I look back at these disciples, these were the words that Jesus was going to give them. Now, this is important. He's getting ready to ascend and go back into heaven. Jesus has been on earth for 40 days. That's the days after his resurrection. 40 days he's been there. He's getting ready to ascend and go back into heaven. And the gospel of Matthew lets us in on something. And that is something that we see the other gospels confirm as well. That this was a confusing time for the followers of Jesus. There was a a contrast of emotions and feelings. There was hope and disbelief. There was fear and joy. There was nervousness and boldness. And there was this roller coaster of crucifixion and resurrection that had taken the followers of Christ on a ride that was so intense that they had developed, as it were, spiritual vertigo. They weren't sure what to believe. You can imagine Jesus being not just their master and savior, but their friend and walking with him and three and a half years of ministry and and seeing the blind eyes open and and feeding of the thousands with two loaves and five There was all of these miracles that had taken place, even the dead being raised again. And, And now they had gone through all of the emotional turmoil and the trauma of uh, the crucifixion and the suffering and seeing Jesus beaten and and drugged through the streets of Jerusalem and and put up in the Roman soldiers treating him like a piece of meat and all that took place. It was so much they couldn't even hardly handle it. And then all of a sudden they start to hear reports that that Jesus was resurrected and then some were suspicious and some were not. And, And so they were all back and forth and they were trying to make sense of it all. One of the most interesting things about a spiritual journey that all Christians, you and I, will embark upon is learning how to understand the trials and the temptations of life. Sometimes it's confusing when things do not go right. You're trying to live right. You're trying to do right. You're trying to be faithful. And it seems like everything's going wrong. And the the old saying, when it rains, it pours. Everything's going wrong. Everything's being poured out. And you don't understand why. When you and I suffer, our flesh sends messages that something is wrong. It goes into crisis mode. It, it does not easily get there and it, and it doesn't easily recover. But what the Spirit of God and the Word of God teaches us is it gives us clarity by instructing us that you've got to have a crucifixion before you have a resurrection. You've got to die out to this flesh before you can have a resurrection spirit in your life called the Holy Ghost. Oh yes, one day the dead in Christ shall rise first And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet Him in the air. But you're not going to just get there. You're going to go through some low points. You're going to go through some valleys. But oh my friend, weeping only endures for the night. But joy is coming in the morning. you got to have a trial before you can have a victory. If you've never been sick, you don't know the joy of being healed. It's the Garden of Gethsemane that brings the victory of an empty tomb. 
And many of the disciples didn't even recognize Jesus after the resurrection. When Mary first saw the resurrected Jesus, she thought he was a gardener. Two men on the road to Emmaus were also disciples and followers of Christ. They walked and talked with Jesus for some time and did not recognize him. Sometimes we don't recognize the miraculous that's at work in our lives. It's easy to focus on the crucifixion and miss the resurrection. Luke records that when he appeared to a group of them, when Jesus uh, appeared to a group of disciples, they thought they saw a spirit. John records that seven disciples went fishing and Jesus appeared on the shore about 200 cubits away and they did not recognize him. John chapter 21 and verse 14 says, uh, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples uh, after he was risen from the dead. Uh, at a time in the grand scheme of God's plan, uh, when he's revealing himself and his kingdom with crystal clarity, they cannot recognize him. Uh, and then Peter says, uh, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old life. I can't make sense of this. I can't make heads or tails of it. I'm going fishing. When the Lord had already revealed himself twice to Peter as the risen Savior. How do you know that? Matthew 28, 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Other verses record it was the third time. They were in a contrast of emotions. They were discouraged. They were doubtful. They were fearful and unclear. But yet they worshiped him. Why does Jesus tell Mary not to touch? him and tells Thomas to touch him. There was a lot of conflict in their emotions and not sure where they were supposed to go or what they were supposed to do or how they were supposed to feel. Now these are the disciples of Jesus. These are the ones that had walked with him. These are the ones that had been with him through all the miracles. In his article from the resurrection to the rise of Christianity, author John Meacham asked the question this way, what explains the skeptical disciples transformation from fear and wonder to clarity and conviction? about the empty tune and its significance in the history of salvation. The author suggests that it was the words of Christ that came flooding back into the disciples' mind after the shock of the resurrection had sunk in. And those words were the words of Christ, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Those words came back. This is what Jesus was referring to. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. When he first taught that, before he went to Calvary, maybe they thought he was speaking metaphorically. Maybe they thought he was speaking of some future time. Maybe they were thinking of, of the latter days or something else. But now they have to try to make sense of it. And this author suggests that those words came back to them and they begin to realize that this is what Jesus was referring to. And indeed, He was a resurrected Savior. That's possible. But that conjecture is based on a premise that faith trumps fact. While there may be some truth to it, it seems unlikely that the followers of Christ on their own could capitulate from one end of the spectrum to the other in unison by just remembering. They were over here, and then they just remember, and they're over here. Oh, I don't know if it was just that. It is far more likely that there was supernatural assistance. I said that there was supernatural assistance uh, to point everything uh, into focus uh, and to bring these men to a place uh, where eventually they would all lay down their life uh, for a resurrected Savior. I say to you today, ladies and gentlemen, that that supernatural assistance uh, was the infilling uh, of the Holy Spirit. 
It was the infilling of the Holy Spirit that made the difference. It was this promise, this outpouring of the Holy Ghost that changed the disciples. It was not walking with Jesus as he taught. It was not seeing the miracles. It was not just being an eyewitness of a resurrected Savior. It was the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. It was understanding that now this that was in Christ can be in us. When they got this spirit, oh, there was something that transformed them. Something that changed them. Oh, my friend, when you look at just the earthly ministry of Christ, you'll find that there were thousands that came whenever he was feeding he was feeding the, the, the many followers when he was teaching. They said 5,000 men gathered when he took that little boy's lunch and fed them all. And women and children, maybe 15,000, 20,000 people gathered on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is like an amphitheater. You say, how could he talk to that many people and be heard without a PA system? When you go there, you can, you can speak way at the one end of that uh, amphitheater, sort of a natural amphitheater, because the Sea of Galilee is flat, and the, of course sound travels across the water, and then the amphitheater, as the hill goes up, and you can stand at the top, and you can talk, and it, and it goes all around, and you can hear all over there. They heard his teaching. They followed him. But oh, when it comes down to just the upper room, there's only 120 that are gathered together. There's a lot of people that can walk with God when everything's going good and the miracles are flowing and the food is flowing and, and everything's going good and you're walking with Jesus. But now, when you go through crucifixion and you go through the confusion of all that time period uh, and you try to make sense of the resurrection and you're hearing the rumors that the disciples stole the body and you don't know what to believe. Oh my friend, doesn't that sound a little bit like the day and age we live today people are not sure what to believe you're not sure who to believe what to believe we're getting all kind of crazy reports from different people and different sources you're not sure to go shopping not go shopping go to church not go to church get in your car don't get in your car stay at home wear a mask don't wear a mask get vaccinated don't get vaccinated booster you get if you listen to everybody you'll be so confused you're not sure whether to stand up or to sit out Oh, but I go back to the Word of God. I go back to the law of original instruction. He's my help. He's my strength. Oh, hallelujah. By His stripes we are healed. They walked with Him. There were thousands. But oh, when it got to the upper room, there was only 120 that were left. Did the Holy Ghost do for the disciples? That a resurrected Savior could not do. The answer is in understanding that the Holy Ghost is what makes a resurrected Savior become personal. Just as Calvary alone cannot forgive your sins, you must repent for the blood to be applied to your life. Your sins are not forgiven by just reading about Calvary. You have to ask God to forgive you of your sins. And when you do... Your sins are forgiven. It takes the work of Calvary and it makes it personal, applicable to your life. My friend, it's the same way with the Holy Ghost. It's not enough to just read about the resurrected Savior. It's not enough to just read the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit fell upon them. But you've got to say, Lord, I'm ready to receive it for myself. It becomes applicable. You put it in your own life. Hallelujah. When Jesus was telling his disciples to go to Jerusalem, he was trying to tell them, you've walked with me, you've watched me, but now I'm going to put my spirit in you. 
It's not going to just be now you seeing what I'm doing. It's going to be power that's going to be in you. He talked about it even in his earthly ministry. He said, greater works than these shall ye do. There was something about what God was trying to tell his followers is that this spirit was going to give them power. There was going to be a resurrection spirit that they were going to have upon them that would quicken them or make them alive. This is what the Holy Ghost does, my friend. It takes the resurrection of Christ and it makes it personal to you and I. If all you do is say, Jesus, forgive me, you've applied Calvary, but you've not applied the resurrection. When you apply the resurrection of Christ, you say, Lord, I'm ready to receive your Holy Spirit. I'm ready to receive that resurrected Spirit. Mm. The resurrection of Christ is applied to your life. You understand things are not like they used to be. And now you are filled with the promise of the Father. And Jesus said when you receive this Spirit, you're going to receive power. That's the first reason that you and I should be filled with the Holy Ghost. Is power. You're going to receive power when you're full of the Spirit. Well, what kind of power do you get? Power to leap over tall buildings? Power to run faster than a speeding train? No, my friend. Power to live above sin. Power to live your life without fear or confusion. Oh, hallelujah. You see, most people, they don't have this power. So they live every day trying to get by with all of the pressure of life and the pressure of sin and and the confusion and the heartache of broken relationships and the addictions of the flesh. But there's somebody that you're sitting next to that knows what it is to have the power, wonder-working power in your life pulsating through your veins. Hallelujah. You can live your whole life under the weight of sin. Uh, You can live below the curve. Or at some point, uh, you can go back to the law of original instruction. And you can get back to the book of Acts. uh, And you can say, hey, I really want to know what must I do to be saved. And you're going to find there's a God, hallelujah, that's going to give you power. Oh yeah, your sins are forgiven through Calvary. But now you said, I'm ready to live life more abundantly. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the resurrected Savior. Power. Power. The disciples illustrate that the Holy Spirit is the only thing that will help you make sense of your surroundings. Power. To witness. That means that you're convinced of how to live and you want to share it with others that's a power because most people that don't have that kind of power they have to live this lackadaisical life of you do it your way and I'll do it my way and we'll all wander through life making our own way but you get somebody filled with the Holy Ghost and they got power They got power to witness. They got a conviction of how to live. 
And it's so good they got to share it with their friends and share it with their family. Because there's power to witness. Woo, I feel a witness in this house today. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not just marking time. I'm not just trying to live a life of existence from one paycheck to the next. I'm made up in my mind. Every day I'm alive. I can lift my eyes and lift my head. My redemption draweth not. Power. Power to witness. A friend of yours says, I'm not doing well. You got the power to witness. Not just say, I wish there's something I could do for you, but I don't know what I can do. Oh, I know what I can do. Mm, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is your hope. The power of the resurrection. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh, my friend, you say, how do I know when I've got this power? You get evidence of His Spirit. You begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And this power that comes is a power to live your life in such a way that you can be in control of your own destiny. You don't have to live as a slave to sin. You can be in charge of your own life. You don't have to live under the weight and the heaviness of this world. But it didn't stop there. Something else happened when these disciples were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with joy. That's another reason. That's the second reason you ought to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter first reveals this in the message that he preaches to the crowd that gathered all around after the Holy Ghost fell. We pick up that narrative in Acts chapter 2 and verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. And now Peter is preaching as the crowd, 120 have been filled with the Holy Ghost. It's been noised abroad and, and now it's out into the streets and a crowd has gathered around. This particular area of old Jerusalem called the city of David is where the sepulcher of David is. It's where he was buried. It was a traditional area. Even now today people gather, but they were in an upper room, an elevated room. But that area was an area where a lot of people came together to visit the tomb of David. Even those that are living in other countries and other lands as we read in Acts 1 that gathered there during this feast of Pentecost. It was, a, it was an area where there was a, a, a lot of pedestrians, a lot of people that gathered around. And, and so when they heard this noise coming out of this room up there, they all kind of gathered around to figure what in the world was going on. And Peter took the opportunity to preach. Peter that had gone fishing after the resurrection. Peter that wasn't sure if Jesus would still receive him now. Standing up with the other eleven begins to proclaim and begins to preach. And in verse 28 of Acts 2, he says, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. He's saying, you've showed me the ways of life. That's that power I was talking about. Power to make sense of life. You have shown me the ways of life, but now you're going to make me full of joy with thy countenance. Oh, when you get to see him. When you really can see Jesus. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Oh, my friend, when you can see Jesus at work in your life, when you can see how God walked with you through that valley, when you really can see how He's working on your job and working in your relationships, and you know, I'm not just getting through life by myself. I feel the wind at my back. I see Jesus. There's joy in that joy, joy, unspeakable joy. Men and brethren, he continues to preach. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. Because they gathered there to see the tomb of David. That he is both dead and buried. You're here to see David. You love David. David was the king when Israel was so powerful politically and militarily. And financially, that, that was the time period. Those were the golden ages for the Jews. So they'd go and see the tomb of David. He said, you're here. But let me talk to you about David. He's both dead and buried. Yes, he is. He's in that sepulcher just beneath where he was preaching. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. That's why he's referring to it. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. You love David. But let me tell you about what David said. David said, there's coming one after me. Oh, yes. That's why the blind man cried out, Jesus, thou son of David. Have mercy on me. He was in the line. There was coming one greater than David. It was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Peter said, it didn't stop with David. He's dead and buried in the sepulcher. But there came somebody from David and he said, it was the Messiah that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell. He was saying even David got a revelation of what the resurrection was going to be because he said my soul was not left in hell neither his flesh did see corruption. He knew there was coming a resurrection spirit. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, uh, He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. He's saying you're here to tell about David. Let me tell you what David said. David told about the Messiah. And David said uh, he would sit upon the throne. And that Messiah is the one uh, that you know is Jesus. Uh, but he is a resurrected Savior. But beyond that, uh, that resurrection spirit is in us. Uh, that's what you're seeing. And that's what you're hearing. Oh, I'm so glad David said which ye now see and hear. You know what that tells me? When you get the Holy Ghost, you see something and hear something. People say, oh, I got the Holy Ghost. I went to bed at night thinking about the Lord. When I woke up, I had the Holy Ghost. Which ye now see and hear. There's evidence of the Holy Ghost. You read Acts 2 and Acts 10 and Acts 19. That says that when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. In Acts 8, uh, when the Holy Ghost was poured out in Samaria, Simon a sorcerer, he saw through the power. What did he see? He saw the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. There's visible evidence uh, of being filled uh, with the Holy Ghost. Uh, oh, my friend, when God fills you with the Holy Ghost in just a moment, uh, there's going to be evidence that you can see and hear. But let me continue on joy, because I like joy. Everybody is looking for joy. Acts chapter 8 and verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. Acts chapter 13 and verse 15. 
52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They're synonymous. When you get the Holy Ghost, you get joy. You say, oh, pastor, I'm not interested in joy. You're a liar. You can't find joy in a new relationship. You're not going to find joy in a new car. You're not going to find joy in a new house. You're not going to find joy and move into a new location. You're not going to find joy with a new job. If you want real joy, you got to deal with this flesh. You got to get right with God. You got to get filled with the Holy Ghost and say, this is my day. You might as well start out 2022 saying, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I've heard about it. I've read about it. I'm ready to receive it in my own life. You can't get more joy than being filled with the Holy Ghost. It's more joy than alcohol, drug. It's more joy than anything this world. It's more joy than hitting the lottery. It is the lottery. It's the original lottery. Because when you hit it, woo! It changes everything. It's better. The Holy Ghost changes your nature. So power, joy, but perhaps the greatest reason. Jesus. See, you can't talk about it without it busting loose somewhere. Come on, you ought to lift your hands right now if you're spirit filled. Lift your hands and speak it out. Jesus, Jesus. Woo! Give me five minutes and then we'll turn it all loose here at this altar. Give me five, give me five minutes. The spirit is subject to the prophet, so just hang on for five minutes. Let me finish and then we'll, we're going to bust loose here at the altar. I want to make sure everybody gets this third point. Perhaps the greatest reason to be filled with the spirit is salvation. Salvation. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. That word quicken means to come alive. There's something about it whenever you have that resurrection spirit. It comes alive. When everything else is focused on death, you're focused on life. It comes alive. It's a quickening in your spirit. And whenever you come alive, you know that that resurrection spirit is the salvation. It is His Spirit in you. It's when the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
What is that? It's that quickening spirit that can even raise up a dead corpse in the power of the Holy Ghost. I got news for you. There's bodies laying at the bottom of the ocean that are going to be quickened with the power of the Holy Ghost when the trump of God sounds. But oh my friends, it's more than a bonus. It is necessary. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It is necessary. It ought not to be the fact that it's necessary that wants us to get it this morning. Because joy and power ought to be enough to say, hey... Sign me up. This is the greatest gift known to mankind. But it doesn't hurt that it's necessary also. Because if one doesn't motivate you, the other ought to. You put it all together and that's good stuff. I mean, I, I like to eat and I like to eat in bunches. But it doesn't hurt that it's also necessary to live. You got to eat. The only problem then is trying to figure out how not to do it too much. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about being fed spiritually. Sometimes it's hard not to get too much. Because it's so good. Oh, taste and see. The Bible said that the Lord is good. He's got a table spread where the saints and God are fed. Come and die. Come and dine. The master call it. Come and dine. I close with this. Two angels in the tomb. They asked the question first. I ask it to you rhetorically today. Those angels said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you guys here in a cemetery looking for a risen Savior? Why seek ye the living among the dead? Let me ask you that question today. Why seek ye a natural solution to a spiritual problem? Why seek for a happiness outside of the one who is the author of joy? Why seek for eternal life from a dead man? Why seek for salvation within yourself? Why seek ye the living among the dead? Come to Jesus. Put away all the doubt and all the fear and come unto Him and receive the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's available for you and it's available now. Would you stand to your feet? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. God's fixing to pour out His Spirit in such a powerful way. I wonder right now if you would just pray and say, Lord, open up my heart to receive the word of God into my spirit right now by the power of your word and the anointing of the Holy Ghost I receive Lord your word let it be in my heart and let it be on good ground by the power of the Holy Ghost Woo! in the name of Jesus here's what I feel in the Holy Ghost today I want you to turn to your neighbor right now who are you standing next to and I want you to ask him, have you received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Come on, just ask him that question right now. After you ask him that question, turn to another other neighbor and ask him, have you spoken tongues since you received the Holy Ghost?
<laughs> if they say no, I'm not sure, or they hesitated longer than five seconds to get to a yes, take them by the hand and bring them down to the altar. <laughs> Woo! We're fixing to have an upper room experience right now. Just take them by the hand and bring them down to the altar right now. The Bible said, if you knock, it shall be open. If you seek, you'll find. If you ask, it shall be given unto you. If you've never received the Holy Ghost, the evidence of speaking in tongues, or maybe you thought you had the Holy Ghost, but you said, I've never really spoken in tongues. Come on, wherever you're at, just come on down. Come right down here to the front. Oh, God's fixing to do something powerful right now. Just make your way down here. Don't be afraid. You're going to be all right. Come on down and be filled with the Holy Ghost. All right, now if you haven't found anybody that said no yet, get out of where you're standing and go across the aisle and try to find somebody that'll say, I've not received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues yet. There's a bunch more here. Don't be afraid. Go out and talk to them, talk to them ask them, do you have the Holy Ghost yet? Speaking in tongues. Bring them on down to the altar. I'll wait. Oh, there's a bunch of people that's going to get the Holy Ghost this morning. Oh, yes. Come on. This is it. Like the old preacher said, you got to get down under the spout where the glory comes out. <laughs> we got a whole bunch of room right here. Just come on. Bring somebody with you. Say, I need the Holy Ghost. That's hunger. She'll receive it. You say, I've never yet received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. If you're not at this altar, that means everybody has spoken tongues that's out there. Is that right? Everybody there has received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues? If you haven't, bring them. Come on, this is where we got to get bold, church. I said, this is where we got to get bold. Bring them on down, bring them on down, bring them on down. That's it, bring him, Brother Derek. Come on, saints, step out of where you're at. Go and talk to people. Say, have you received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? If you've not yet, bring them on down. This is the chance to receive the Holy Ghost. We're going to pray, and God's going to fill these with the Holy Ghost. But before you start praying, let me ask you a question. If you're down here at the altar right now, and you've never spoken tongues, would you raise your hand right now? You've never spoken tongues. Thank you for your honesty. Just hold it up. One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Is that ten and eleven? All right, eleven people. Anybody else? Right here, twelve. Behind me? Oh, two. Yeah, I got them. All right, twelve. Anybody else? You've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Woo, my. You're fixing to receive a glorious experience right now. <laughs> Power! Joy unspeakable and full of glory. All right, now those of you that are here, you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Make sure you understand that. Right now, I'm going to give you five very simple instructions, and then we're going to pray. And God's going to fill you with His Spirit. Now, if you don't mind, just look up here at me for just a moment. The very first thing that has to happen is that you have to repent of your sins. Everybody has to repent because when you repent of your sins, He forgives you and it gives you a clean vessel to receive the Holy Ghost. 
And so when you say, God, forgive me of my sins, He immediately forgives you. There's not even a delay. It's immediate. And your spirit is clean, which then gives you a vessel that is ready to receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. That's the first thing that we're going to do. And we're going to all pray together, and you can pray in your own words. But we're going to pray a prayer of repentance. Now, here's the second thing we're going to do. The second thing is that we're going to lift up our hands when we're ready to receive the Holy Ghost. And after we've repented of our sins, we're going to lift up our hands. Now, here's why we lift up our hands. When you lift up your hands, uh, you're surrendering. You're saying, not my will, but thy will be done. And when you lift up your hands, you're saying, I'm ready right now to receive the Spirit of God. Uh, It's your way of surrendering your flesh to the moving of the Holy Ghost. All right? So that's the second thing we're going to do is we're going to lift up our hands. Now, the third thing that we're all going to do together is that we're going to lift up our head. Now, I know sometimes when we pray and we ask God to forgive us, there's shame and there's conviction that goes with that. And we put our heads down in shame. I understand that. And when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, if you do that, that's okay. But when we get ready to receive the Holy Ghost, you've got to believe that He has forgiven you. And so now you look up because you're in a posture of expectation that now the Lord, hallelujah, is going to fill me with the Holy Ghost. And I'm looking up from whence cometh my help. And we're going to lift up our head. And the fourth thing that we're going to do is that we're going to close our eyes. Now here's why we close our eyes. When you close your eyes, you're able to block out all of those natural distractions that can happen because the the eyes of course are part of these natural bodies in a natural world and they're constantly taking in images and thoughts and concepts that can get us distracted but when you close your eyes you can see him oh hallelujah you can see him right in front of you with his arms stretched out and you know that god is fixing to fill you with the holy ghost So we're going to lift up our hands, we're going to lift up our head, we're going to close our eyes, and here's the last thing that's going to happen before you receive the Holy Ghost. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith after we repent, and then we are going to shout as loud as you can. In fact, when I get through praying the prayer of repentance, I'm just going to shout, Hallelujah! As loud as this 58-year-old man can shout. And when I shout hallelujah, that's going to be the trigger for you to then lift up your voice and shout. Because you can't get the Holy Ghost not saying anything. you got to begin to use your words and shout with expectation and with praise. And begin to shout hallelujah! I love you Jesus! I receive your spirit. And as you begin to shout, the music's going to start up. The singers are going to start singing. And you're going to feel the presence of God come all over you. Now, when you feel that presence of God come over you, you just begin to speak out whatever you feel. Whatever you feel. It may sound like baby talk. It may sound like something you're not familiar with. Don't let it bother you. It will be evidence of the Holy Ghost. You can't say the wrong thing. All right, does everybody have somebody praying with them? All right, two by two is our theme. Nobody's by themselves. All right, are you ready? Those five things are what we're going to focus on. Now, remember the first one was repentance. 
So the very first thing that we're going to do is we're going to repent. I want you right now to bow your head. And in your words, would you begin to ask God to forgive you of your sins? Lord, I believe your word that you died on Calvary for me. That by your stripes I am healed. That Lord, you took on the sins of humanity. And I'm asking you, Lord, right now to forgive me of my sins. I believe, God, your word that I could ask and that I would receive. I've not always done it the way I should. I've made mistakes. I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect woman. I know, God, I need your help. Go ahead, use your words. But I'm asking you right now, wash me as white as snow. Cleanse me in my heart and my mind. Oh, forgive me of every sin of commission. Forgive me of every sin of omission. Forgive me of every thought or attitude that was not conducive to your word or to your will. I'm asking you, God, to forgive me. I need your help. And I believe, God, right now, as I have asked you to forgive me of my sins, that, God, you have heard my prayer and you have forgiven me of my sins. Hallelujah. I received that forgiveness. And now, Lord, I am ready to receive the Holy Ghost. Now lift up your hands and lift up your head and close your eyes and get ready. Get ready. Get ready for the Holy Ghost. Now by the authority of the Word of God, and by the anointing of the Holy Ghost and by the power of the name of Jesus I receive your spirit Hallelujah That's it, shout! Shout!